Well, hi there. It's really great to be back sharing with you. I'm sure you enjoyed the series that my wife has been doing. If you missed out on it, please, I encourage you to uh, partake of that powerful, powerful series, Ignited. Uh, just tap into our website and you can actually have a listen or you can watch it uh, via YouTube. Very powerful. We were ignited when it comes to prayer. And she'll continue with that after a number of weeks. We really want to birth the strong prayer movement. And I encourage you to be a part of that. Well, let's pray. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in this season in our lives. And I thank you, Father, for how central our identity is in all of this. Give us revelation, Lord, today. Give us insight with regards to the importance of our identity and our role in identity formation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What I'm going to be doing today and for the next few weeks, I'm going to continue talking about identity, but specifically, I want to address the issue of identity formation, how identity is formed. And I want to touch on a very powerful concept, and it's what every child needs, what every child needs. What are the marks of a functional family? Because that's what God has called us to create. He's called us to develop this. And this message is for you. If you're trying to figure out how you grew up and you want to know what the gaps, cracks and leakages were in your life, right? Because when you know how behavior was learned, it becomes easier for you to unlearn it. Okay. And some of you might listen to this and think, oh, it's just the psychological stuff. I'm fine. You know, I don't need it. Um, let me tell you something. You will rob yourself of the opportunity to become whole in areas where you might have thought you were okay. You know, um, so as we reflect on our lives, let's look back and see where the gaps, cracks and leakages and how can we find healing. Secondly, this message will be relevant for you if you're a counselor and you help people and you're a healer of relationships. It's important to have a standard you are working with. You know, what does every child need? What does every family need? What are the marks of a dysfunctional family? What are the marks of a functional family? So I encourage you, if you are in the healing business and you're helping to restore family life, this message is for you. Maybe you're in a situation where you're a child in a family right now. And if you don't understand the principles that I'm going to be sharing with you today, maybe you're that person who's going to be wounded for life. And it's time for you to actually say, you know what? I want to process things differently because I'm not a victim of my upbringing. I want to process things differently so that as I grow up, I choose how I see. I choose how I see the world. I choose how I see other people. I choose how I see myself. All right. Very, very important. So you can actually make choices right now in your formative years. Or maybe you're someone who's heading up a household, maybe a mom, maybe a dad, and you need tools. You want to figure out what do my kids need? What does my family need? What do I need to do right now? Uh, I've read this book. I've listened to that message. But what's the standard biblically of what every child needs? Then I encourage you to fully embrace this message. You see, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm going to dwell on this, this introduction for some time intentionally because I really want to lay a foundation. And I want to say to you that there's an attack 
on the family unit today because the enemy knows that it's in the family unit where we have a crucible for unlocking greatness. That's where greatness is formed. It's in the family unit. That's how God designed it, okay? And so the enemy targets our family unit so that we experience wounding. And the more wounded we are, the more likely we are to expose ourselves to the enemy's strategies against us. And then demons attach themselves to our emotional wounds and then it's a disaster. And I want to help you to be completely free from these kinds of things. So there's an attack on the family unit. There's also an attack on our identity as people. I'm telling you right now, that's what the enemy is trying to do. If you're going to attack your identity and distort your identity, then he's one. So we need to guard and preserve our identities. Amen. So I want to share with you the fact that your identity is primarily formed in your formative years. That's where it's formed. And parents play such a crucial role in this. They play such a crucial role in this. In fact, researchers actually found, uh, they've done studies on boys and girls in terms of identity formation. And what they've actually found is that the parents, when it comes to the support they offer their children, social monitoring, school monitoring, the parents have a great impact on identity formation. And those kids who haven't got that support, from their parents, you see that they're affected in the realm of their identity. Some of them are so enmeshed and they're so fearful in terms of like uh, doing something that isn't unique to them, right? Um, they, they end up so fearful of just running away and they end up running away with other lifestyles, okay? Because of the lack of support that they had. Um, when they were growing up. So I want to show you how we can actually do this. It's actually been found that there's a relationship between positive parental involvement and identity achievement, specifically in adolescence, okay? Um, and uh, many of us are raising kids who are now becoming teenagers. What's our role in relating to them with regards to that, okay? A central part of your identity is what's known as personal continuity or psychological continuity. And what we're finding is that many people don't have this. And as a result of this, uh, the extreme of this is multiple personality uh, disorder, what's now known as dissociative identity disorder, okay? It's where you literally suppress, okay, uh, one aspect of yourself or who you are, and then you literally embrace something else. And um, we need to be careful of this because what tends to happen is people then have between 3 to 16 on average different personalities, all right? And this is quite serious and I'm addressing this because apparently on the continent of Africa, um, let's talk about South Africa in particular, I think people are underdiagnosed. There are a lot of people with mental health issues, but there's shame around these things, okay? And we don't know how to treat them. We don't know how to deal with these things. And I believe it happens on a bit of a continuum. You know those people who've got a bit of a split personality, because that's what it was originally known as, and you see them literally starting out and it seems like, they're two completely different people operating here. I believe that it sometimes leads to gender identity disorder, which they're now calling uh, gender dysphoria, okay? But the point I'm making is that people literally take on different personalities just to cope in life, okay? Uh, there's dissociative amnesia, 
And that's where people will literally forget about parts of their lives. And often it's rooted in the psychological trauma that they faced at certain stages of their lives. All right. We need to look at these things. And when I talk about people embracing different personalities, it's so real. It's not like someone is just acting like a different person. It's literally a case where sometimes they've got allergies uh, that they don't usually have when they are embracing one particular type of personality. They've got different memories. I believe that some people struggle, you know, your compulsive liars or people who make up stories. Sometimes it's because of these issues. Why am I sharing all of this with you? Uh, they've done uh, experiments where they actually look at the brain pattern of certain people where they do CT scans and they see that when this person believes is this one person um, the brain pattern is different when uh, different from when he believes he's this other person I'm sharing all of this with you to say that we need to guard our identity, our God-given identity. Yes, you may have been through trauma, but you know what? Jesus died for you in that trauma. Jesus died for you in that space. He died for the real you, not the pseudo you. And I want to encourage you to embrace what you experienced. We're a composite of our past and to allow Jesus to heal you in that particular space. This is so, so important, so crucial. And I encourage you to go through the notes, some of the concepts which I'll share with you. You might want to uh, go back into them, study them, pray through them. But I believe it's your place uh, of freedom. You see, when we talk about psychological continuity, what we're saying is that in terms of someone's sapience, when we're talking about their intelligence, we're talking about the insights they have, there needs to be continuity from moment to moment. Unfortunately, with a lot of people, when it comes to their sapience and also their sentience, which is to do with your sense, the sense of uh, what, what you have, what you can feel, what you can, um, just having a sense of things around you, how you relate to your environment, there's no continuity. Okay, you kind of think to yourself, am I dealing with the same person, right? There's someone who uh, has from time to time emailed me, but when they email me and tell me certain stories, I can see that there's a disconnect between the person I know and what they're actually now telling me. It's like different memories, different, a different life almost, okay? So we need to watch out for these things, and I believe that God is wanting to take us to a place of freedom. I encourage you to embrace this message and let's see what God is going to do as we go through this process. Amen. So I believe that families are the crucible for unlocking greatness. You know, I was fascinated the other day when I asked my boys uh, who they thought was man of the match. We've got this soccer showdown we do, okay, where we play football with each other. It's two on two and um, it gets quite heated at times. And so one of my boys said, uh, Dad, uh, who do you think was man of the match? You know, uh, and it was interesting because I threw the question back and I started asking him, said, who do you think was man of the match? And he says, um, I think it was me. And then I asked um, the next boy, who do you think it, it was? I think it was me. I asked the other one, who do you think it was? I think it was me. And to be honest with you, I actually thought it was me, right? But the point is, I reflected on this and I thought to myself, mm, I think my kids have got a healthy self-esteem. Some of you might be thinking, no, Paul, that's delusions of grandeur, okay? But the reality is that when children are growing up in a family unit, they see their parents as godlike, okay? Literally, they're thinking to themselves, if dad says I'm good, then it means I'm good, okay? If dad says I'm bad, then they begin to second guess themselves. 
So we've got such a, such a privilege for us as parents, okay, to really nurture our children and bring them up in the ways of God and shape their identity. When you were growing up, what was said about you? What did you internalize? How did you see yourself? Because it influences and impacts how you are as an adult today. You see, and it's what we call self-efficacy. It's your belief about your own abilities. Okay. Um, now, as we explore what every child needs, you can focus again on your role as a parent. You can focus on your childhood, your upbringing. You can see your role as a counselor. You can look at all these things and just keep asking yourself, Lord, what are you saying to me right now? What are you saying to me right now? Here's the interesting thing. God was the one who had the idea of family and he would not have created family if he thought it was a bad idea. He's the one, it was his idea, okay, from the very beginning. Yet many of you, many of us associate family life with wounding, okay, where there are certain ways we were wounded and we don't necessarily have a positive memory, positive memories of family life, okay. So it's difficult to sometimes make this association between it was God's idea, it's a place of healing, it's a place of unlocking greatness if you didn't experience it. And I don't want to minimize that, but let's go back to God's word and see what he has to say to us with regards to family. Well, the Bible says in Psalm 68 verse 6, says very clearly, God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. I find that so interesting because the, the, the healing for loneliness is family. Yet many of us have experienced crowded loneliness in a family setting where you can be around people, you're talking, you're socializing, but you feel lonely. Right? I counsel lots of people and you hear this coming through, even in marriages today where people will say, I feel so lonely, I feel so alone. Yet God sets us in families so that there's freedom in this area. Ladies and gentlemen, what are we doing in our family units to bring healing? I find it interesting that in this scripture, in Psalm 68 verse 6, straight after it says, he sets the lonely in families. What does it say? It says, he leads out the prisoners with singing. And I believe there's a link between the two, that family Family is a place of healing. Family is a place of restoration. Okay. In Ephesians 3 verse 14 to 15, the Bible says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father. This is Paul praying. And he says something so interesting from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Okay, a name speaks of identity. So where does our identity come from? It comes from Father God. Your identity as an individual, your identity as a family is from God. God has given you the family that you have. Isn't that so powerful? In the book of Psalms 123, very powerful verse, um, uh, Psalms 127, I beg your pardon, verse 3 to 5, it says, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. Okay, so children are gifts. So the moment I see my children as gifts, there's a way in which I'll relate to them. It says the fruit of the womb is a reward. There are many people struggling to have kids today. They would love to have children, but they can't, right? And many of us who do have children, who've been blessed by children, sometimes we take it um, for granted. We've been blessed with children, but we take it for granted. Okay, it says like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. 
How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. So your children become uh, become weapons of war, okay, uh, on your behalf. You're stronger because of them. How do you see them? Do you see your children as assets or do you see them as liabilities? When you were growing up, were you seen as a liability or were you seen as an asset? Were you seen as just an expense and an inconvenience or were you seen as something that uh, your parents were, uh, were proud of and delighted in? Ask yourself, why did God place these children under my care if you've got children? God has given you all the resources. I'm telling you right now, God has given you all the resources that you need in order to be a faithful steward over them. He's given you everything that you need in order to be a faithful steward over those children. Don't think to yourself, I can't do it. I can't cope. You can cope and you can do it. And so in this section of the identity rehab, I want to uh, examine various aspects of functional families and I will get started this week and I'll continue next week. And I want to show you what a functional family looks like. And what I want to say to you is that um, very often if we haven't had an experience of a functional family, we think that's normal. It's like when you go throughout your life and you've got back pain, right? And you get so used to it, that's normal because you haven't experienced life without that back pain, all right? I remember growing up and my dad would come home late often from work. And I remember it was only when a friend of mine had a sleepover with me and came to visit. We were about 12, 13 years of age. I remember that's when this friend said to me, where's your father? Okay, because he had been working late and we were used to that. That was just the norm, all right? And um, I, it was only problematized when he asked me this because his dad used to arrive home uh, very early. I think they would go home at four or something like that. But the point I'm making is that for some of you, you're living in environments right now where there's actually sickness. Uh, and I'm talking about sickness at an emotional level where there's dysfunction in your family unit. But your children are growing up thinking that's normal. They think it's normal um, if there's domestic violence, okay? Because that's all they see. They think it's normal if there's abuse of alcohol because that's all they see. They think like, okay, that's what life is like, okay? Um, if you're growing up in such environments, I encourage you to sometimes just visit certain friends where you know things are quite functional, right? And it just is, becomes a wake-up call that, oh, okay, not everyone is like this. Not every family is like this right? Not every family has favoritism, for example. Oh, this is how these guys are being treated. Oh, these guys actually do chores at home. Oh, we don't, all right? Um, it's so important to be exposed to different things so that you understand your world better. I'm hoping that's clear. Now, parents ask yourself, what normal am I creating for my children? What normal am I creating for my children? How am I showing them that this is what family life looks like and this is what it doesn't look like? And here's what's powerful. We make mistakes. When we make a mistake, we need to model apology. We need to model apology because when you apologize for something, you're communicating to your children that, you know what, this is not normal. I don't want you to get used to this. I made a mistake. And then they also tend to apologize. And let me just say something. You know, there was someone who once said, consciously, I teach what I know and unconsciously, I impart who I am. All right. So you can say the right things on the outside. But guess what? Your children, your family, the people around you will pick up what's really on the inside of you. The Bible tells us that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
okay? Sometimes you have these people who are so principled, uh, perfect in the workplace, and they come home and they're very principled, lots of rules and regulations, and then they ask their children, what's going on? Why are you guys just acting out like this? And what I say to them is they're just absorbing you. They're just absorbing you. And we owe it to our children. We owe it to the people around us to be emotionally whole. If you're that person who loses their temper regularly, if you're that person who's extremely harsh, who has a harsh edge to themselves, if you're that person who's, who, where everyone around you is trading on eggshells, get healing, get restoration. It's so crucial. It's so important, okay? Because you are shaping people's identity. So... All in all, I'm going to give you 10 qualities of a functional family that will show you what every child needs. But what I want to do today is I'll focus on the first few. The first one is maintenance. Maintenance. This is basic provision. Basic provision. You know what we mean by this, right? Um, you'll find even the humanists will talk about children's right, that every child has a right to this, a right to that. Well, a lot of that is actually true. Every child, every child has a right to food. You know, you can't give birth to children, uh, but they're not provide for them in terms of a meal to eat. And let me just say something. When we talk about providing food, right, and sustenance, sustenance it needs to be nourishing. You know, you can't do this thing where it's like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, if they're just eating junk, it's okay. They'll sort themselves out. I remember being in a counseling situation where this guy was troubled because he felt like his wife wasn't playing her role, all right, just in terms of feeding the family. He said sometimes she'll be out like at 10 p.m. or so and the kids are at home and they're wondering, well, what are we going to eat uh, for, for dinner? Now, some of you have got kids who can cook for themselves and so on, but make sure there's food at home, all right? Um, it's not a laissez faith thing where it just happens. And on the children's side, those of you who are kids who are listening to this, because you need to assess yourself, uh, very often your parents can provide good food for you, but you reject that. It's nourishing food, but you just want to eat sweets and unhealthy things, okay? And you don't brush your teeth. That is wrong. They shouldn't have to be paying lots of dental bills just because you're not brushing your teeth, okay? So it takes two to tango, but the responsibility on the parent is parents must provide for their children. And I'm not talking about providing for their wants, because nowadays a lot of kids are extremely uh, demanding. I want this, I want that. And there's a strong entitlement mentality. I'm talking about providing for your needs. What is that? It's food, it's shelter, it's warmth, okay? In South Africa, it's been very cold lately, right? A normal thing that I do is uh, when I'm putting my kids to bed and so on, praying for them just before they go to bed, sometimes I look and I say, are you sure you're warm enough with that blanket? Do you want me to go and get another one? We've got lots of blankets in the house, okay? Are you sure you're not going to feel cold later on? Because we feel our bodies are different. We feel different. Sometimes they know I'm fine and so on. Every child needs warmth, okay? That's so important. Clothing, I'm not talking about necessarily being a fashionista and having the best labels in terms of everything, but actually just being well-clad, well-clothed, okay? So important. Have, have they got shoes? Have they got something to wear? And here's the thing I want to say. Some of you are in situations where you've got children, your offspring, however, they're not living with you right now. Maybe it's a blended family situation. Maybe they're living with their mom and so on. And sometimes it's easy to forget about them. You need to be monitoring that situation to see, are they being well looked after? 
Are they being well looked after? What can I physically get for them? All right. And the solution isn't always money. Uh, very often it's practical things that you can do for them. We need to take responsibility for our offspring, regardless of how they were conceived. We need to take responsibility. I know I'm speaking to someone right now. All right. Um, there's a blessing when you do that. There's a curse when you don't do that. And yes, I used the word curse. You know, there's this thing nowadays where people say, oh, because you're born again, you're uncursable. A curse is not something complicated. A curse is where the supernatural is working against you. A curse is where you are empowered to fail. And if you look throughout scripture, when we don't take responsibility for our families, for our offspring, and look after the children that God has blessed us with, okay, um, there's, a, there's a, a door that is open to the enemy and we do have supernatural empowerment to fail. And some of you, you've been praying and praying for breakthrough, but because you haven't actually taken hold of your children and looked after them and taken responsibility, um, you've got the supernatural working against you. So watch out for that. There's no shame about these things. People have had pasts. People have had backgrounds. Don't act like, oh, I've only got these two kids, you know, uh, when you know you've got other kids. Um, that you had before. Are you looking after them, right? That's very, very important, okay? Um, what sometimes happens is a lot of people place too much focus on their own needs, especially when there's addictive behavior in the family unit. Um, sometimes when there's an illness, a chronic illness, you find that everyone is absorbed with that person who's addicted to that particular thing. There's codependency. Sometimes there's a chronic illness and it becomes about the parent and the children are actually neglected, okay? So it's important for us to address these issues. In the book of Psalms, uh, verse 25 uh, of Psalm 37, Psalm 37 verse 25. It says, I was young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. May that not be our portion. May we not have our children begging bread, okay? Um, it's not your portion. So part of walking in righteousness is having breakthrough in these particular areas, okay? Children have a right to education, you know? Children do not just learn by themselves. Oh yeah, let's just have all these babies and they'll figure things out. No, they have a right to good education. And it's sad today, but um, there are a lot of schools that aren't good. Okay, if you look at the nation of South Africa, some schools are outstanding and some schools are, are completely useless, to be honest with you, right? And parents are just like, oh no, it doesn't matter. We'll just send them to that particular school. Uh-uh, don't do that, okay? Uh, be conscious of the school that your child is going to uh, making a choice concerning where they learn and how they grow and how they develop, that's your responsibility. In 1 Timothy 5 verse 8, the Bible says, anyone who does not provide for their relatives, some translations say for their own, okay? So whoever is under your care, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So can you see part of our Christianity is in our stewardship of that which God has given us, maintenance of that which God has given us. God has entrusted us with these children. We are responsible to educate them, to feed them, to provide clothing, to provide shelter. Okay, And it's important, I'm hoping that the sparks of conversations as families, where we sit down and we actually say, are you guys warm enough? Have you got winter clothing right now? If you don't, let's trust God for that if we don't have money, okay? Because every child needs to have that. And sometimes through negligence, we're not aware of these things. Sometimes we just think to ourselves like, oh, you know what, if they have, they will ask. No, it's your responsibility as a parent to find out, okay? 
Children have God-given rights. They have a right to food. They have a right to shelter. They have a right to protection from abuse. That's so important. They have a right to protection from abuse and protection of their moral innocence. It's so sad when we see the sexualization of little children today. You know, um, my wife sent an article to us that was just talking about that, where they're now trying to say, oh, if someone is attracted to little kids, it's okay. That's their sexual orientation, you know? So it's endorsing people being uh, pedophiles. And it's actually happening at a corporate level where certain uh, organizations are sexualizing toys for children, okay? Um, I don't even want to go into it right now. But it's terrible. It's horrific. We need to pray against these things and we need to speak out against them. Our children's moral innocence needs to be protected. You see, when it comes to uh, children, there's preparation and then there's protection. Okay, two different things. When they're still young, they have to be protected from certain things. And that's why we don't expose them to certain things on the internet. We've got certain um, things that protect them on our televisions and so on that bar them from watching certain programs, etc. They can't just watch anything. They have to be trained up. We put rules around that, but we also help them to be aware of these things. So that's the protection side. But there's also preparation. That's where they reach certain a certain age. We need to tell them about the world, okay, so that they hear it from us first. I want to challenge you as families. If your parents aren't talking to you about certain things you would like to hear from them about, ask them about that. Quiz them on it. Say, dad, do you struggle talking about this thing? Do you feel uncomfortable with it? We need to engage on these particular things, okay? And often when children don't engage with their parents about certain topics, then they struggle to talk to even God about some of these particular topics, okay? Those of you who are physically away from your children, you need to find ways of engaging with them around specific topics that prepare them for the world. And you need to make sure you're clued up in those areas. You see, that's one of the things I get nervous about because sometimes I say, parents, talk to your kids about this, talk to your kids about this. But I realize a lot of parents out there aren't equipped and they'll say the wrong stuff to their kids. And sometimes they feel nervous about that. Well, equip yourself. You know, just like you studied that degree you've got that you're so proud of, okay? Study parenting, read books on these things, you know, uh, go to websites like Focus on the Family, Christian family websites where you can learn about these things, okay? And impart the right things to your, to your children. So, so important. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7 to 8, it says, For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have found, if, if we've got food and clothing, we will be content with that. So we're not talking about your wants. We're not talking about entitlement mentality. Dad, I need to have a new camera and I must have it now. Okay, doesn't work that way. You'll get a camera uh, in time, you know, when uh, the resource is available and it's a priority and you're ready for it, you'll get a new camera, right? Um, it's the same with phones. It's the same with bicycles, etc. However, when it comes to the basics we need to be able to provide for our families and they must be content with that, okay? Um, so I want to encourage you with that. Let's make sure that uh, we are playing a critical role when it comes to maintenance. Those of you who didn't have this when you were growing up, how did it impact you? It's one thing when your parents tell you what the needs are and you can see they're also struggling themselves and, and you believe in God for provision. It's another thing where you can see that you don't have certain things because of negligence, because of their negligence, where they think you're sorted, all right? Uh, and they've got the nice stuff, but you don't have that, okay? Then that becomes a bit of a, a problem. 
The second area I want to address today is the area of nurture. Every child needs to be nurtured. Nurture results in a sense of emotional warmth and that feeling of being home. You know, there are a lot of people when they think of home, they associate home with certain emotions, okay? Um, it's those feelings uh, people have towards you at home. It's where you feel like you are loved, all right? And you know what the sad thing is? Sometimes I speak to people and I say, did your father love you? And they say, Paul, you know what? I know in my head that he loved me, but I didn't feel loved, okay? Uh, and sometimes we placate and we're like, yeah, but he loved me how he knew to love. But did you feel the feelings of love? And they'll say to you, no. And you see, we want to get our children to a place where they actually feel at an emotional level that love because they then carry that emotion into their other relationships. When you find someone is harsh, when you find someone is stern, when you find someone is numb, when it comes to uh, the emotional state, very often they didn't receive love. Okay, they might have been loved in certain practical ways, but they didn't perceive it to be loved and they became hardened. All right. So to nurture is basically to care for and to protect something or someone while they are growing. That's a key thing. And um, one of the basic needs every human being has is the need for growth. It's one of the basic needs every human being has. It's the need for growth, okay? And when you feel like you're no longer growing, you begin to die on the inside. And I want to encourage you to make sure that the people around you are nurtured. The people around you who are under your care are actually growing as people. Often when I train leaders, I say to them, the people who are on your team, are they growing as people? Not just are you getting results through people. Are they growing as people? When you reflect back on your childhood, was there growth? Did you grow as a person? Did you grow as a confident person? Were you comfortable communicating freely? Or did you feel like something in your identity was squashed? Okay. You see, many of us are very good at preparing to go to work. Few of us are good at preparing to go home afterwards. This is such an important point because um, the mood I'm in when I get home okay, uh, will affect the climate at home, you see. And many of us are so good at putting our best foot forward at work, aren't we? We dress nicely, we talk nicely, we give them our best intellectually, we give them our best emotionally. But when we go home, if we're honest with ourselves, with the people we say we love the most, very often we're giving them our leftovers. Those of you with siblings in the home right now, growing up as young people, are you giving your brothers, your sisters the best? of you? Are they getting the best version of you? Those of you who are married, is your spouse getting the best version of you? Do you prepare yourself that way? You know, very often when I get onto the highway or motorway and I'm going back home, I have to start putting my dad cap on. I have to start putting my husband cap on because I'm playing a different role in those environments. Okay. So let me just say this also, nurturing is not something that only women do. Okay, sometimes we've got this thing of, you know, nurturing is just for women. No, there's an aspect of nurturing that comes naturally to women. But I can tell you right now, there's an aspect of nurture that men do. Okay, and I'll show you scripturally because throughout the Bible, it talks about the nurturing role of Father God. All right. I remember I was speaking to an old friend of mine who I was at school with. Uh, I met him, I think it was about a year ago or so. He lives in a different country. And I was just asking him coaching questions, I would call them, around certain things, just being interested in his life. And he said to me, Paul, you're very nurturing. 
you know, like, I mean, we are grown men, you know, um, I'm 45 this year. Um, and, you know, he's the same age. And here he says to me, Paul, you're very nurturing. Okay, maybe I was just being pastoral. I'm not sure. But the point I'm making is it's a thing we can do as men. And let me unpack it a little bit, you see, because biblically nurture should be done with tenderness, right? Should be done with tenderness. What is being tender? What is being tender? All right. Being tender involves empathy. Right, involves empathy, where it's you're feeling into someone else. There are two words for empathy. It comes from a Latin word, em and pathos. It literally means feeling into, wearing someone else's moccasins. So as we as we rear our rear our kids, as we raise them up, we need to nurture them, but to nurture with tenderness. Okay. When we're talking about physically, when someone says, "Oh, my toe is feeling very tender right now," we're talking about sensitivity to soreness. Sensitivity to soreness. Oh, I've got a toothache, and uh, when something cold gets onto my teeth, you know, get on gets onto my gums, and and the nerves touch it. What happens? Oh, it's sore. My, it's very tender right now. Right. That's what people will say. So when when I talk about emotional tenderness, I'm talking about being sensitive to your pain. All right. Um, so Jaden, for example, has had a sore knee. And I keep asking him, Jade's, how's your knee today? Jade's, how's your knee today? My wife has had certain aches uh, in her physical body just with her training and things that she's been doing. So when I go on a run with her, she'll tell you about three times during the run, what am I saying? My love, how are you feeling right now? What is happening? I'm sensitive to her pain. So when we nurture people in our household, it involves tenderness. This is so, so important. And sadly, with a lot of people, they don't know how to communicate that. They say, ah, I'm not the emotional type of person. No, that's emotional. It's, mo it's emotionalism. No, that's only for women. And so people don't have that emotional connection with their fathers today because these people have been wrongly taught that men cannot nurture. Men cannot communicate tenderness. I'm telling you right now, if you're that person who's been cut off from their emotions and you don't know how to do that, it's something that you can learn. It's something that you can learn. You see, if you look at Colossians 3 verse 19, the Bible says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And in all the translations you can find, that's what it says. Do not be harsh with them. Okay. Um, this is so, so important. So your wife is not your homie. There's certain things you can do. Let's say you're playing soccer, for example, with your friends, right? There's a way you speak to each other. There's a way you can, you know, body weight them. When I'm playing two on two with my kids and so on, there's a way I use my body weight. And it's quite a bit at the moment. Okay, I'm getting fitter and fitter though. Just want to say that. But uh, compared to them, I've got more body weight. And there are things I do to them, right? Uh, but guys, with your wife, there's tenderness, right? There's a way you deal with a woman. You are a gentleman. And I like that word gentleman because it starts off with gentle, all right? So your wife is not your homie, right? Nurture and tenderness begins in your marriage. It's not a thing of like, oh, I'll be so gentle with my kids, but harsh with my wife, all right? Uh, even if you're right, even if you're correct in what you're instructing her to do or to tell her, we do it with tenderness, okay? Your children get their cues, from your tone. What's your tone around the house? What is your tone, uh, the tone you experienced when you were growing up? What did you grow up with? Because typically what happens is that they pick up from you. They pick up from you, they absorb you, right? Um, and what typically happens is if you grew up in a household where harsh words were exchanged, you'll either go the opposite extreme where you're now afraid of conflict and you always avoid it, 
or you will follow suit and you'll do the same thing. And then someone says to you, is that how you speak to your wife? And you'll be like, ah, but at home when I was growing up, we would speak to each other like this. That's how you express yourself, you know? I'm not angry or anything. I'm just passionate, <laughs> you know? Um, you have some people doing that. So your identity was influenced by the degree of nurture that you experienced. And right now, is home a safe space for you right now? Is it a spacious place for you right now? Okay. Is it a place where there's growth or do you feel squashed as an individual? Okay. Remember the result of nurturing is growth. You see, you nurture someone to growth, right? Um, and, you know, I don't like it, for example, when my kids are scared of asking me for something, when they're nervous about it. I want them to know that, you know, a dad delights in giving you things. Some things aren't good for you, so they won't happen right now. Maybe he hasn't got the money for certain things that you want, so it won't happen right now. But let's believe God together so we can get that particular thing. But I never want my kids to be afraid of asking me for things. Okay, very important. Now, in Ephesians 6 verse 4, it says in the King James Version, And ye fathers... Provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And I wanted to use the King James so that you can actually see that word nurture there. It uses the word nurture. And the word nurture is actually the word padea, which means discipline, instruction, training, and rearing. Okay? So those seem to be quite firm words like discipline your children, right? But it goes on to say straight afterwards, uh, don't, or straight before that, it says, don't provoke them to wrath, okay? Just before that, don't provoke them to wrath. So the way we should discipline must be in tenderness, okay? By inference, must be in tenderness, okay? Um, and that speaks of gentleness. In Ephesians 4, verse 32, it says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, in Christ, God forgave you. When you have a revelation of the fact that God has forgiven you, it's amazing what happens. You become gracious toward other people. And when the Bible there says, be kind and compassionate, that word compassionate in, in some other translations, is actually the word tender-hearted, tender-hearted. Okay, and that's speaking of gut level sympathy and empathy. All right, it says connotations of your, your physical biology. So, at a gut level, right, uh, we are called to have sympathy and to have empathy towards people. When we talk about sympathy, we're talking about feeling, feeling pity for, and we're talking about empathy, we're talking about feeling with, okay, someone else. Imagine if our homes were full of this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage you, sit down as a family after this. We often, after the messages, we sit down as a family, we talk about what we learned from the message and so on. But I want to encourage you, around these things that I'm covering with you, assess yourselves. Say to yourself, is maintenance happening? Okay, is maintenance happening? Do, does everyone have what they need? Okay, and then talk about nurture. Is it a nurturing environment? In other words, is, is, is our growth being facilitated? All right, and is it being done in a tender way? And where we've made mistakes as parents, we need to ask for forgiveness. We need to say sorry. We need to say, you know what? I know sometimes I lose it with you guys with no excuses, with no excuses. Okay. We don't want to allow someone else's weakness to trigger us. Your weakness shouldn't control my behavior. Sometimes as parents, we're like, yeah, but what do you expect when the children do this? Or when my wife says that, no, I must be able to control myself. All right. And my own behavior. So, so important. Thirdly, I want to talk to you today about inclusion. 
One of the things that is so, so important that every child needs, they need that sense of belonging. This is actually part of your self-esteem. One of the aspects of your self-esteem is a sense of belonging. I've got six pillars of self-esteem that I often will speak about and I'll touch on this next week. But um, one of those pillars is a deep sense of belonging. And that comes from feeling included. How many of you have been in family life where you feel like an outsider? You feel like you're always looking from the outside in. You feel like people tend to gang up on you. Okay. Um, what happens to you as a result of that? What's your behavior? How do you actually process that? Be careful how you process it, especially at a young age, because sometimes maybe you're believing a lie from the enemy. Other times it's actually true. That's why as parents, we need to make sure there's no favoritism. I've seen the impact of this, especially on middle kids. It happens a lot to them where they kind of feel like, oh, the, the last born is being treated so nicely, you know, the, the baby of the family and they don't get in trouble all the time and so on. And everything is coochie, coochie, coo. And then, and then the older sibling, you know, they, they're connecting with the dad and the mom at another level. And this middle child ends up getting the middle child syndrome. That is a well-known syndrome that people talk about. And I see these people growing up and ending up in environments where they're always looking over the wall. They're always looking over the wall. They're always comparing themselves with other people. They're always feeling like they've been left behind and being unfairly treated. Not because they are being unfairly treated, but because they become hyper vigilant about that because that's how they felt as they were growing up. And that's why I encourage you as parents, sometimes take your kids on individual dates where you just say, I'm going to have a special time with my daughter. I'm going to have a special time with my, with my son. Okay. Not the herd mentality, not the herd mentality, but where each person, each member of the family feels celebrated and unique. That sense of inclusion is so important. Inclusion is a sense of belonging. It's knowing that you will be missed when you're not present. That's why it's so powerful when as a parent you say, hey guys, come, I want you to join me here. Hey, who wants to go with me here? As opposed to they're always the ones asking you, dad, can I come with you? Mom, can I come with you? It's where you include them, right? You feel needed, don't you, in that environment. You're known by name and you're unconditionally accepted in your family. That's a place of healing. And if we haven't been doing that, let's become aggressive in doing so, okay? Where we aggressively include people. I'm not talking about about where people don't have boundaries. Often with my kids, I say to them, guys, I'm talking to your mom. Please, um, can you just leave us alone? We'll talk to you a bit later on. That actually makes kids feel more secure because they know, oh, things are great between mom and dad. Dad honors his time with mom, okay? So that's quite important. But you want your children to feel included, okay? They don't have to pay membership fees to be a part of the family. Many people grow up in families where they feel they have to perform to be accepted. Did you grow up in a family like that where dad talks to you when you're performing, when you're doing well? That's my boy, that's my boy, or that's my girl, that's my girl right? But when, you, when you're not performing, he ignores you. You grow up with a performance mentality. That's where it comes from. You see, little babies don't know anything about that. It's something that is learned with time that in order for me to be accepted, I need to get perfect results. And when I don't get perfect results, there's shame around that. 
okay? Just watch out for it. Just watch out for it. You see some kids, they fail to score in their rugby game and they end up thinking, my dad will be ashamed of me. That's why one of the things I don't like to see in my kids if we're playing soccer with each other is when there's shame around making a mistake, you know? And I see it if they apologize too much for the mistake. It's like, yeah, you apologize to your teammate. Oh, sorry, I missed that goal. But there's no shame in it, okay? There's no shame in it. It is essential to communicate to children that their efforts are recognized and that having fun is also important. That's one of the basic needs of kids. Let them be kids. You included. We had fun. I don't like this thing when people are doing things socially at home, but they take it so seriously, you know, almost like they will, I don't know, something will happen to their hernia or something if they lose a game, you know, um, we need to move on from that. So by positively stroking your children when they perform and then ignoring them when they don't perform, okay, you end up having a performance mentality being bred and it ends up being encouraged and it leads to this feeling of I'm only accepted when I perform and that affects behavior later on. So here are some principles I want to share with you. Healthy families have a strong sense of inclusion and belonging, okay? One of the main purposes of a family is to have an environment where someone gains self-acceptance. You see, when I show you that I accept you even when you've failed, I accept you even with all your proclivities and anecdotal behavior, right? Your strange ways, I accept you and I celebrate you. Guess what? Guess what? You grow up with a strong sense of self-acceptance. You internalize that and you literally go out in the world where you're like, I'm not phased. People can reject me, but I'm still cool. I was in a counseling situation um, some, some time ago and this guy basically said, you know what? I love it when my wife gives me that vote of confidence, when my wife believes in me, because I go out with the mindset of even if this client rejects me, even if I have this negative situation, I know that my reference point, which is how my wife sees me at home. I know that things are good there and I can identify with that. Ladies, please remember that as men, if you criticize us all the time, we, we crumble. There's actually what's known as the fragile nature of the masculine ego. All right. We can crumble. We end up going out there and we're not as confident. Okay. We'll pretend we're confident, but it impacts us. But there's something about the role you play in our lives when you believe in us, when you include us, when you celebrate us when we are your hero and a hero is someone you both admire and adore there's something that happens to us where we literally perform better okay um, and here's the principle here's the principle um, people will always gravitate to where they're celebrated not where they're tolerated simple as that people will always gravitate to where they are celebrated not where they're tolerated Okay, um, so if you find that someone is now spending more time with their friends, more time out there instead of at home, sometimes it begs the question, what is the atmosphere like at home? You know, there are those people who love being at home. It's a place of celebration. They feel celebrated, right? Um, do, you, do you feel celebrated by the external world, the outside world, but you're not appreciated at home? Okay. Um, just ask that question. Just ask that question to people, to people in your family setting right now. Okay. Um, do you feel that they are celebrating you out there? Right. Uh, but at home, your greatness isn't being appreciated. Okay. What's going on there? What's going on there? In family, we have a place where we're accepted for who we are. So, so important. Okay. Imagine what family life would be like if we practice the following scriptures in Romans 12 
verse 15 to 18, the Bible says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. That's where you view yourself more highly than you ought. Okay. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Imagine we applied this in our family life. Imagine we applied this principle. I encourage you, speak to each other and break it down for each other. Have this as a standard, okay? Putting this into practice would result in a deep sense of belonging. I can tell you that right now. Reflect on your upbringing. Did you feel like you belonged? If not, how has this impacted you today? Okay, I've seen how it impacts people. I've seen how it impacts people. In Romans 15 verse 7, let's see if we can apply this. The Bible says, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. You see, that's that sense of inclusion. Now, when you look at the word accept in English, it seems like it's something passive, right? But in the Greek, it's a very strong word. To accept means to welcome. That's why in some translations it actually says welcome one another. But you know what? When you break down that word, it actually means to aggressively receive someone whilst taking personal interest in them. Okay, so it's, it's written in a tense that actually intensifies the meaning. Isn't that powerful? To aggressively receive someone whilst taking a personal interest in them. Okay, that's what that word accept means. Accept one another. I think it's so powerful. Now, finally, today, I want to explore the concept of differentiation. This is one of the basic needs in a family situation, differentiation. And differentiation occurs when your uniqueness is celebrated. So not everyone in your family has to be the same. Now, I know you have generational blessings. I know that sometimes there can be a corporate identity that you have as a family. I know that sometimes you can have all your kids called into the same thing. I know sometimes you might have a strong business and a strong vision for a multi-generational vision. So you encourage your kids to partake of that. I'm aware of all of that. But in all of that, there's still the individual uniqueness. And this is so, so important. So differentiation occurs when your uniqueness is celebrated, okay? And I'm really talking here about preference, preference. I'm not talking about morality, okay? There's certain rules we have at home. There's a certain way we practice uh, certain principles, okay? So I'm not talking about that, but I'm saying that there are different personalities in your household right now. And the Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. Not the way you want him to go. And this is where we need to be very prayerful to say, let me allow my child to be who they've been called to be. Many of us come from collectivist backgrounds, and I've said this to you before, but in a collectivist system, the mindset is very much to do with the collective conscience and not what the individual is called to. So instead of allowing someone to do something that's based on an individual calling, we make decisions based on fear of banishment from the in-group. Your child says to you, uh, mom, dad, I want to go to university to do art. Mom, dad, look at each other and say, we've never seen this in our family. We can't pay for you to go and to just draw pictures, even though you know your child is good at that. Ah, oh, no, you can't do that, right? Or maybe you're in a situation where you want to live out your dream 
through your children and you force them to be a certain way. There are people today who've become lawyers because that was the same thing that was regarded as uh, very um, highly respected in their community. So they did it for the wrong reason and they built up a wonderful practice as the hero. But then after some time, it just stressed them out. And now they're an entrepreneur, right? They've bought a franchise. Okay, you have people like that and you say, why didn't you pursue that profession? And they'll say to you, you know what? I was trying to impress my dad. I was doing it because I think that's what they wanted me to do. All right. Um, and they only realized when they were aged 40, maybe, that this wasn't the thing for me. All right. Now, I want to encourage you as parents, don't force your kids into certain professions based on bias, based on the fact that you've put that thing on a, onto a pedestal, okay? Because they will waste so many years pursuing that thing and maybe after you've died, they'll quit, okay? Or maybe when you're in your old age, they'll quit, all right? So we need to find out what our children called to do and we need to nurture them in the right direction. And that's what I speak of when I'm talking about differentiation, all right? And uh, you'll find that as a child grows up, they go through a process called individuation where they basically start identifying how they're a unique individual apart from everyone else around them. This is so important, okay? Um, Sadly, in a lot of families, you find that there's enmeshment where we don't know where does dad end and mom begin? Where does mom end and her firstborn begin? Okay, uh, so because everyone is so entangled in each other's every move, family enmeshment occurs. And this is something we need to just watch out for. So important. Okay, so each person should be recognized as an individual. All right. I was doing a team intervention recently and someone said something so powerful. They said, what I want to see in this particular team, very intelligent people. This person said, what I want to see in this particular team is a situation where we can work together as a team, but at the same time, not lose ourselves. And that's so true concerning family life. You know, we work together as a family. We've got the same family values, same principles, same moral standards. However, we don't want to squash our differentiation, okay? Uh, and very often it is squashed in households because you have some personalities that are more dominant than others. You know what I'm talking about. There's some dominant characters in certain families, okay? So um, acknowledging your unique characteristics actually ends up allowing you to get to know your likes, to get to know your dislikes, to get to know your strengths, the overuse of your strengths, uh, to get to know your weaknesses. And parents should strive to provide guidance and never try to live their dreams out through their children, okay? In a fam family that is functional, all right, we must exercise boundaries and we must also celebrate and respect appropriate privacy. This is the thing, don't force your children to tell you certain things they're not comfortable telling you, especially when they reach a certain age, okay? You must tell me, what are you thinking right now? How are you feeling right now? Tell me right now, okay? You don't get things out of them that way, all right? Um, so let's just think through that. Imposing different preferences on children can actually prevent them from making decisions on their own or thinking for, for themselves. You see, your job is to help them to understand the consequences of their behavior, the consequences of their choices. You, you, you as a parent, your role is to help them to make good moral choices, right? Um, so I want to ask you, as you reflect on your own upbringing, did you choose the career you felt God was leading you to? Okay, or was it forced on you? Just reflect on that a little bit, okay? Did you marry the person you wanted to marry? Or did you marry someone just to impress your parents? Okay, it's something we must think about, right? 
Maybe your parents were racist. Maybe they were racist and they thought like, oh, people from that tribe, they're not great. Don't marry people from that tribe. And then you embraced that and you rejected someone from that tribe. Okay, now you've made your decision, so you have to stick to it, right? The moment you said, I do, that's now your Mr. Right, right? But the point I'm making is some of you who are not yet married, some of you who are still growing, growing up perhaps, right? You can think through these things that I'm telling you, and I'm telling you that it will save you from a lot of uh, harm and a lot of um, sorrow, Okay, a good parent knows the power they have to shape their kids, but they never abuse this power. They never abuse this power. Okay, I told my boys, for example, that you know what, guys, it's up to you which football team you support. Yes, I'm a Man U fan, but you don't have to support Man U. All right. And as a result, Daniel decided that he's going to support Tottenham and he's very passionate about that and he's stuck to it. Sometimes I can say to him, dude, you can change your mind. You can come back home, you know, in that department. But he's embraced his differentiation and I think it's healthy. So differentiation is not about moral boundaries. Okay, I'm not talking about morality, uh, but it's to do with your preferences. It's to do with your taste. It's to do with your individual style. And we kill differentiation when we insult people because of their taste in food. Worst thing, it's something I don't like when someone makes themselves a certain sandwich or they mix up food in a certain way and people are like, what are you eating? That's gross. How can you eat like that? You've just violated a boundary. People have different taste buds. You know, their taste buds are different. And some people like certain things because it's an acquired taste, because that's all they could eat when they were grown up. There's some people who love tripe. They love intestines. You might look at that and think, oh, that's strange. But if you grew up eating that, that's normal and can taste quite nice. Okay. Um, So that's something for us to really think about. Are we allowing people to express themselves in terms of individual styles? Did you grow up in a home where you were mocked because of your preferences? Okay, you were mocked for your preferences and your tastes. Okay, how did that impact you? Was there now a sense of shame around what you like? Right? Did you feel like you can't like certain things? Okay, do you know the uniqueness of your spouse? Okay, and your offspring, right? And are you calling it out like Jacob did for his sons? And I want to land this message with this example, because you see Jacob, when he blessed his children, when he blessed his offspring, I mean, some of the stuff he said wasn't really that great, but some of it was so powerful. He was acknowledging the uniqueness of these different individuals. And then as you saw the different tribes coming out of that, tribes of Israel, they had different strengths. They weren't all the same. Um, I'm going to read Genesis 49. I'm going to read from verse 20 to 27, just to give you an as- a, a, a taste of what he did. Do you know the uniqueness of your offspring? It says, um, it says, Gad. Gad will be attacked by a band of raiders, but he will attack them on their heels. Okay. Asher's food will be rich. He will provide delicacies fit for a king. Naphtali is a doe set free that uh, bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near spring, whose branches climb over a wall. With bitterness, um, uh, archers attacked him. They shot at him with hostility, but his bow remained steady. His strong arms stayed um, stayed limber, okay? Because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, uh, the rock of Israel. Verse 25, because of your father's God, 
who helps you because of the Almighty, who blesses you with blessings uh, of the skies above, blessings of the deep springs below, blessings of the breast and womb. Your father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains. And he continues. But the point I want to make is that uh, he was making these declarations. Uh, for example, in verse 27 over Benjamin, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. Right? In the morning, he devours the prey. In the evening, he divides the plunder. Now, we didn't know uh, Jacob as being this uh, greatly prophetic person. right? But when it came to blessing his children, the prophetic was flowing. And he made certain declarations. And if you study the power of blessing in scripture, a blessing is really to do with words. Words that you're releasing. So what are you saying over your children? And it doesn't have to be in a formal time of prayer. It can actually be in a time where you're just talking to them. Whatever you consistently say over them. right? One of the games we like to play when we're together at home is to celebrate each other by just saying, okay guys, who's the best such and such in the home, in this home? Who's the best at this? Who's the best at that? Who does this really well? And what are we doing? We are differentiating the different children and my wife and myself by celebrating them. It's so, so important to celebrate people's uniqueness. Okay. We'll explore the remaining six because they're 10 in total. Uh, we'll explore the remaining six next week. Uh, but for now, let's just go forth from here and assess ourselves on the ones that I've covered. Maintenance, nurture, inclusion and differentiation. Are we giving this to our children today? Uh, are we applying it to our spouses today? Right? When you were growing up, reflect on yourself. How did you grow up? How has it affected you today? Okay. When you're counseling people, how are you effectively thinking of these things as a standard for healthy family life? If you're a child who's growing up right now, how are these things affecting you right now? And how are you processing in a healthy way so that they don't affect you later on in life? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you that you are teaching us and training us up in terms of healthy family life. I pray, Father, that we would be whole as people before you. And I pray, Father, that there will be powerful conversations in our families as a result of this message. We commit ourselves to you and we say, God, help us as we learn. God, help us as we grow. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. God bless you. I encourage you to partake of our prayer meetings that we have on a daily basis. I encourage you to um, uh, follow up in terms of these messages that we give you. If you missed the last series on prayer, please just partake of it. Uh, tap into uh, YouTube and you'll just see we've got so much material on our website. Let's keep learning. Let's keep growing. God bless you.